There is an interesting half a phrase in the Isha Upanishad. He who knows, knows it not. And he who has not the thought of it, knows it. Mother made it easier to understand it when she was asked, uh, what is truth? We see when we go to Shirobinda's room, it is written, cling to truth. So she was asked, what is truth? And he said, you cannot define it. Same, same thing from the Ishapanishad, you cannot define it. Each one understands it in his own way. So how can we know it? She said, if you are sincere, you will know it in your heart. And then she used a very interesting word. She says that the only word that comes closest to revealing what truth is, is dharma. You will know it in the heart. You cannot, uh, there is no way you can define it. But we are living in a mental age, though we are moving now more and more towards the intuitive age, where we needed to define things very, very clearly. And when we go to the roots of these words and when we look at what they mean today, it's very surprising. We have Our mind has been captured with certain connotations which are associated with words. And if you look at Shirobindu Savitri, one of the marvelous things, there are many marvelous things, but one of the things which I have been amazed, how Shirobindu uses words, most commonplace word. And it, he gives it a meaning which is far beyond its scope. It's literally in word he is practicing going beyond the word. As the scripture says, Shabda Brahmati Vartate. For example, one of the lines, which one of my favorites, the word loiter is generally used in a very negative sense. He is loitering around, aimlessly wandering around. Shabindu in Savitri uses the word in this way. In nature's instruments, loiters, secret God. <laughs> now what do you say? <laughs> is he doing a right thing? Is he doing a good thing? Uh, so, many of these words, when we go back to their origin, especially in a certain context, um, in Sanskrit it was different and I suppose it must be the same in Tamil, where words have a lot more flexible meaning. They merge into each other, blend into each other. They sometimes fuse with each other. They evolve from one to the other. But that's not the context in which we use today and some of the terms we are taking today are these, for instance, religion, sect, cult. Sect and cult today carry a very negative meaning. Oh, he belongs to a sect. He is in a cult. People have sometimes asked me, uh, is it a cult? Mother and Shurabindo's yoga. So I tell them what is there in mother's prayers and meditation. Yes, it's a cult beyond limits. I cherish for you a cult which is beyond limits. So, that's the only way to make the human mind spin and understand or at least through the shock open a door. Yes, it's a cult beyond limit. What really is a cult? Cult is typically described as centered around a personality, around certain teachings and we have belief in it. So, it's a cult. In that sense, yes, Shubhindu and the mother and see the problem of this definition is we say it's a cult so it's something negative so there is a tendency to get rid of the personality get rid of you know so what you have at the end of it 
is neither yoga nor spirituality, but a mental belief and idea about things. But in India, this uh, this problem was never there because it was always understood that yoga was transmitted from a guru to a disciple, and the guru was the door towards uh, the truth that one was seeking. So. When it is said in the Bible, I am the door and I am the way, it is understood. For an Indian mind, it's understood. Yes, of course. The center of that personality who stands at the gate. And Shubhinda gives a great importance to this in Essays on the Gita. He says, uh, there are three elements of any yoga. The Bhakt, the Bhagavat and the Bhagwan. So, whenever a divine representative comes upon earth, Christ, Krishna, Buddha, Sri Aurobindo, so he stands at the center as the gate. So this is one way we can look at it and understand it very simply, very directly. And understand that yes, the divine in a human form, I am speaking just of the cult part, divine in a human form becomes the gateway to that which he represents. So at one level he represents the divine consciousness to the human mind and human consciousness which is so limited imagine conceiving of divine as something which you can neither define nor describe that's how ultimately the greatest mystery is so the other day in Jaipur we were talking about Kenupanishad so Kenupanishad speaks of that which is beyond at the end he says what is he he is delight and then it says those who dwell upon him they become like Carriers of sweetness and people swarm around them because they contain that delight. And what is delight? Again, this word, when we use it in our everyday life, we don't understand because delight is neither happiness nor joy nor felicity. It is something far deeper than what the human mind can ever conceive. Another word which has suffered such a degradation is love. We all know that today if one uses the word love, it carries a very, very Penal connotation. It doesn't carry any of those profundities. The mother uses this specifically. She says the word love has really been degraded in the human consciousness. It carries none of the meanings which is originally meant to carry. So same way the word cult, yes, the Bhagwan, the divine as the human representative is the path. There is nothing wrong in it. It's the ego which doesn't want to surrender which wants to maintain its individuality and says, no, I'll do it all my way. Divine is no issue about it. <laughs> Free to go your way. <laughs> but very often this way, because, uh, and often I give this example that you want to practice yoga without a guru, without somebody to guide you. Uh, okay, fine. Um, you learn mathematics all by yourself. Maybe you can, somebody can do it. You know, Michael Faraday was... Uh, actually sitting in a shop, his father's shop, and he learned about electromagnetism there. But then, he couldn't understand what he is experiencing. So he goes and gets admitted to a PhD school where a teacher teaches him. This very simple thing. This idea that uh, even a simple thing like kindergarten stuff, we need somebody to, not teacher in the sense of classroom teaching, but somebody to help us who has gone through that process. So to imagine that one can undertake the journey of yoga where at each step there is a danger and a charm and very often the two are together and through them there is a possibility. <laughs> you can neither 
take this route not that route you have to go through it and then the possibility emerges it's an opportunity so to imagine that one can undertake this journey without somebody at the center of it is uh, either foolhardiness or an arrogance of the intellect there there is uh, not only about guidance very often people believe okay the guru is just to guide you that is the minimum that a guru does minimum the greatest gurus don't guide they do it they carry you that's what today i think in pagest house that wonderful thing that the divine even when there is a fall the divine has let you fall so that you can rise higher and greater so when we understand now who else can say such things except the master imagine if these words are not there and one says okay i'll follow it my way the first time the bones break <laughs> one is <laughs> so he not only guides guidance is a very uh, people often think he will give some updesh and rest is your way he carries us through the journey in the in the arms of love he takes us it's it's a tremendous grace helps us during difficult hours so divine as a human is not just a representative so that our mind can fix upon the idea of the eternal of course that is a minimum because it's difficult to conceive of the eternal of the infinite the absolute so we start by somebody who has realized though the form is there which is like any other human form but well deep inside the consciousness is completely different and through the form we can come into contact with that consciousness that's why in india this uh, problem never arose between religion and spirituality because uh, it was always understood that the two are deeply interconnected take for instance um if you go to kedarnath so what do you find at the top of kedarnath do you find a lovely image of shiva in a nataraj pose or anything like that you find a stone what is that stone that stone is precisely representing shiva there he is nothing but everything even in the stone is there one can look at it like that so this idea that divine is either this or that was never there one could pick up a stone worship a river take a sun and you know it could become a doorway to approach the infinite it could be a flower as i said in the indian context as a child we used to worship a stone called shaligram which was regarded as a representative of lord vishnu just because it had those three <laughs> nice dharis around and we took it like it's a janeu and you know i don't know whether vishnu bhagwan wears a janeu or not but it was a very nice feeling that yes uh, this is uh, lord vishnu now it's the principle behind this is that there is the divine immanent in this entire creation this is something which very often is completely missing in both the western context i mean all the semitic religion this idea of the divine being immanent in creation and it's so relevant so important shyodbindu speaks about it and the mother says that i had to struggle again you know because this idea that divine is somewhere up above was something which i was taught and even shurbindo she says had to struggle against this idea that he is somewhere up above but this thought that he is imminent within us if you read that those verses from the ishopanishad where shurbindo 
puts it like that that you know he is nearer to you he is in the drift of the galaxies he is in the heart of the atom he is in the plant the stone the river the sun the moon and stars but he is still nearer he is in the old man who is bent and moving forward in the laughter of a boy in the blush of a girl and he is still nearer he is in you so we concentrate on the divine within but how do we concentrate on something which we just don't know we need a image the mind has to build an image some people concentrate on the sun some people on a flower and if this is just a gateway to pass into the beyond it is enough but here as shrubindu says there is a work to do so in this yoga there is something still more this contact with the divine as the representative human representative of the divine is not just so that we take that image and we use that image or any other image for that matter to realize the divine within the self within which can be done actually um, by concentrating but also because this yoga there is a return back to the nature so divine is not just pointing as the way the guru here is not just pointing as the way and the rest we have to do he is there to help us carry us through the journey so it's a living presence and that living presence is not just an abstraction which you know one concentrate upon the light and takes it as a divine presence one concentrates on any other form and figure this presence this form which has been taken by the divine is meant to open the door towards the supramental future so that's where we understand the full sense of christ saying that i am the door and i am the path so this i is not any other for you know realizing the christhood he becomes the door and the path path buddhahood krishnahood so here again to realize that truth which shrubindra and the mother are have come to give it to us it is the form of the mother the form that she has taken that becomes the doorway and the path and shrubindra even in fact at one place says because people had this idea she is the world mother so anyways we all are aware about the world mother so how does it matter why only this mother we can just concentrate in the heart uh, on the world mother and she will lead us and shrubindra reminds in one of his letters be careful of an adverse hostile maya and an asuric illusion which tries to create a division between this mother and the world mother the form and the name has been taken with a purpose and we must understand it was not randomly that okay let let's have another form there are already many forms to pass into the beyond so this form has been taken with a certain purpose now the moment you talk about it that it's through the mother this mother <laughs> you will hear oh it's a cult well technically it is but is it really something wrong when we go back to the roots of the word cult we find something very interesting cult comes from a latin word which has wonderful meanings it literally means to grow and expand cultivate culture agriculture is never a negative word it's something that there is a center around which things grow and expand i have sometimes heard um, i mean frankly i mean people somebody from orovillo we don't follow any cult so i tell them that look then in that case orovill itself is a cult if you try to do say that because it's centered around mother it doesn't matter whether you know you have an image or you don't have an image can we imagine a place without the mother and we say no no we are following each our own path 
that's not what is meant when it is said that there is um, freedom to experiment when it's freedom to be it means this freedom is granted with this very clear understanding that she is standing behind there is a very interesting little story somebody went to shri raman ashram and asked him that uh, you know in shirobindo ashram we have uh, so much freedom which is given boys and girls meet freely for instance isn't it something like uh, fire and ghee <laughs> what is it uh, butter ghee is an accepted term so he gave a very interesting answer an answer which many of us would not give but this man in raman ashram said he was told nowhere else we see it but in shurbindo ashram we see this kind of freedom he said yes they can do it because they are divine beings so when it is said you have freedom it means that the divine stands behind she stands behind she knows how far you can go when to bring back how to bring back all this is like a controlled experiment it's happening within her consciousness there is no such freedom which is cutting yourself off from the lord and saying i am going berserk in my own way that won't happen but when you keep her in the center then the freedom has a meaning because she knows you know that famous uh, thing about shurbindo and amrita that amrita started going in the mornings um, started liking a girl and you know shurbindo would sit at 2 o'clock and sometime there would be these seances automatic writings and he had a time fixed at 4 o'clock and shurbindo at one point of time asked him that um, amrita i think it's time for you to so he took it as a sanction and the sanction meant as far as it could go he fixed up his marriage and everything and comes and tells shurbindo so shurbindo says what nonsense when he said i want to get married to this girl what nonsense sir then why did you allow me to go so far shobindo's answer to see how far you can go let's not forget that all this is happening with shobindo at the center he goes back and refers it to shobindo so the master is not just a representative image but he is a reality a power a presence and the form becomes so much more um it's not just a convenience but that form of the divine has a great meaning when the formless assumes a human form it's not any other form and that's why the mother when and with shurbindo and the mother equally you know when shurbindo's um, body was being interred in the samadhi and that message was given that they had written a message nice very intelligent intellectual disciples after all no so a message was given that shurbindo's mortal remains will be entered into the samadhi and thankfully they again see referred to the mother and mother strikes it off and writes there there is nothing mortal about shurbindo each cell of his body contains the immortal flame it is that immortal fire and he is of course written all this in you know in savitri so when it comes to shurbindo and the mother another letter where shurbindo is asked by niruddha sir there are some people believe that you can uh, now that the supramental when the supramental force comes we will not really need anything but directly we can come in contact with the supramental force and why can't we pull it just as you are pulling just imagine <laughs> the grandiose <laughs> what shall i say megalomania <laughs> the last man who tried was ravana and we know what happened to him so shobindo says yes technically you can do it nothing prevents you from trying it but all who have tried it have landed into a horrible cropper because 
what does really the mother do? We are not ready for receiving that which she has come to give. So she contains, she is the container, she holds all that tremendous force within her. And she gives us in dosage which is necessary. You know, sometimes we need homeopathic doses, small little dose but does great effect. Sometimes we need allopathic doses, sometimes we need injections. So she dispenses it in the amount that is necessary for us. And what if we are not ready even for that small little dose? Then she prepares us. It's not like anybody anywhere can now, you know, come in contact with the supramental force. Now that it is there, it's no more needed. Because these are things which come into, uh, you know, human thought. Then there is another very interesting idea that since the divine is within, many of these things which are religious practices. Now religion has to do with outward rituals, practices, beliefs that we hold. So, I remember one little anecdote of Chotanarayan Sharma. Some of you may have heard about him. So Chotanarayan Sharma, one, one day, he had gone to some place in Riva. So Riva may you know whose I am, name I am going, but I will not take the name. So, and I met such people. Oh, we have never been to Pondicherry. We don't need to go to Pondicherry. We don't need to even go to the Samadhi. It's all within. I am opening to the force. It's coming and working. So, Chutnarayanji gave a very interesting reply. He was a literally a master in many, many, all possible spiritual literature that I know of. So, he said, oh, he was very straightforward, very frank. So, he tells this gentleman, you think we are fools and idiots who are just rubbing our head on a slab of stone? Tomb. That's how it is described. The tomb of Shirobindo. Yes, it's the tomb of Shirobindo to the eyes that do not see. It's might as well one can describe one's mother as my father's wife. Technically it is correct. Can you address it like that? There is something which comes from the heart. She may be my father's wife, but for me she is my mom. And the word mother has many, many connotations than my father's wife. So this is how we have to understand that outer practices are not just a concession given to the human mind that when we bow to the samadhi, it's like, you know, we need some external figure to hold. Sri in one of his beautiful passages in the synthesis of yoga, she says it's true that to begin with, certain idolatries are needed. And idols are not just outside, idols are in the mind. People, you know, there is a whole um, religion which destroys idols, says Parasti and destroys it. Fools don't realize that idol is in the mind. When you describe God in a certain way, you are building an idol. Mind builds concepts and ideas. And through that it builds an image. That image somebody paints or somebody puts it. So idol is nothing else but it is a concretization of that which is inside. So he says, yes, it is true. But then he goes on to say, even when you have discovered and realized the divine within, still, because your whole being wants to participate in the movement of yoga, Therefore, it continues, but now with a new significance. Mother and Shurabindu are within, even when one has realized the presence within. One knows that they are all the time with us. Does it mean that now I don't need to, that kindergarten stage that is over? Shurabindu says, no, because your body wants to participate in that moment. If you read one of the mother's writings, very beautiful. She says, um, three types of surrender. And one of them, she says, let thy will be done. She says they are accompanied with three movements, corresponding physical movements. 
In the third one, she describes that laying down prostrate before the divine, opening everything from head to toe and saying, this is yours. Giving oneself entirely to the divine. Now, there is a physical movement which corresponds. This tendency to cut the physical world from the other world. This is what created the big gap. And today if you find the definition of the word spiritual, it's very interesting, all that pertains to the spirit. But since spirit is beyond definition, so all that is non-material is spiritual. This is the way spirituality is defined. So anything which is material, anything which is physical or connected with the physical is regarded as non-spiritual. It was because of this that in the playground, when all this started, uh, nice equipment and all, people wondered that whether the ashram is losing its way. When? When Mother and Shurabindu are physically there. They were great people who thought that, you know, why it is done. Even there was a nice film song which was once played and people complained to the mother. Today a film song was played in the playground during meditation. And the mother said, which song? It was a French song. When the soldiers are going... For the war. And she says, but this is such a nice song. <laughs> What's your problem? <laughs> so it's spiritual and religious. Things don't become spiritual and religious by the outer act. This is the limitation of the human mind. They become spiritual or religious based on the consciousness we put in the act. This is the fundamental thing. Offering a flower could be a religious thing. Could be a mechanical thing, not even a religious thing. And could be a deeply spiritual thing. When people would come and give, you see this, because of this division, so many things have happened which, you know, um, I don't know whether people remember it or not. Earlier, uh, you know, we would come and bring, there was a whole section where you could offer flowers. Okay, the logic was it becomes very crowded, but people love to give flower, and if there is a nice place where they could be kept, because it's your offering to Shurabinda and the mother. People would go to the mother, carry flowers, and what was... What was the action of these flowers? This is Sadika who was carrying a flower and it was little drooping. So what to do? Anyways, it was her birthday. She took it to the mother and said, Mother, I am sorry, but this is the only one which I could get. Mother took it in her hands and smiled and she just uh, gently caressed the flower. The flower began to bloom. Meaning thereby, you bring your consciousness and give it to me and it's my work to change it. And the same applies to everything. So when one does or gives something to the divine, in whatever measure one gives it, and it's a physical act because tomorrow even offering money can be a physical act. It's not the physical act. It's the consciousness which is behind. One may give a you know, lot of things but with the idea that I must get things in return. Whereas one can give even the smallest thing. Look at how the Bhagavad Gita describes it so beautifully. Patram, Pushpam, Phalam, Toyam, even the smallest of small things, even a blade of grass, a leaf, a, you know, a stone, whatever people offer to me, devotees offer to me with love, I receive it. And this, in the measure of what we have given, we become receptive to the touch of the divine. So religion is not about just outer act. It is about the consciousness that we put into it. Equally, one could, you know, the best is to give oneself. I know a sadhika who wanted to offer some money and she would calculated this much money to be given and she went to Shurabindo's room and suddenly she started looking for money but she wouldn't, couldn't find it. So she was getting very tense and she was a clairvoyant lady. So suddenly she hears 
वॉइस यू कैन गिव यूर मनी एनी वेयर हेयर यू गिव योर सेल्फ she herself told me here you give yourself now this was a amazing life changing experience for her here you give yourself money you can give anywhere you can put in the hundi you can put here there anywhere so this is the second aspect we realize that one is that when we do physical acts and gestures they are a way that they represent something of the divine to us like in indian thought namaste they are not meaningless things so we don't say just hi bye we we do a namaste and we all know the meaning and we don't want to get into that um even this gesture of uh, you know bowing down completely so it's like um i give myself completely to you in utter humility uh, and as the mother has said the power of the guru flows through the feet this uh, today's um, mess today's today's a special day and mother describes that experience she says i didn't know what it implies i had heard in india that people bow down to the feet of uh, god or or the guru uh, but i didn't really know because she came from a background where this was just not done she said the moment i bowed down to shurbindo i realized the great truth of it that's how she said the power of the master flows through the feet you see those lines in savitri and where she presses her feet course uh, from the mother and where she presses her feet course miraculous streams of an entrancing ananda and of course in savitri descend o happiness with thy moon gold feet and further all nature dumbly calls to her alone to heal with her feet the aching throb of life so in the entire human body it's a representation of a great truth so this is the one part second the body wants to participate in the movement why should it be left alone that inwardly i am offering poor body will say sir i am also here please don't neglect me i also want to participate so mind will say no 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 if i bow down at the samadhi you are making a cult should we listen to the mind or should we listen to the urge of the soul should we also give importance to the body which wants to bow down and complete the movement so this uh, physical acts and gestures are also meant to complete something which has already been realized look at the relation of mother and shirbindo has had not she realized everything she was all the time one with the lord she said it was very easy for us to come out of the body and merge completely when she was speaking about consciousness of immortality she said this we had we both had realized it long back but look at this when she would go to shirbindo it's one of the most beautiful chapters and very liberating when people would give her flowers and all she will come 12 years with shirbindo the leela of the lord place it at shirbindo's feet or give it to him he would receive it why was he receiving it he was not saying ki all this not needed all god is all within that's it's an integral movement of uh, union with the divine the body must participate there are such instances where um, on somebody who would pick up a particular mala made from tulsi beads at dwarka on krishna janmashtami come and give it to shirbindo on 15th august that sunday shirbindo would wear it and then hang it there is a whole place you will see in um, in in near the near shirbindo's room near mother's room actually that passage where there are actually little little hooks to hang those things which were given to shirbindo so all these physical gestures they may seem insignificant and trivial 
but they are part of that participatory process it's a transaction with the divine and the body must participate in that movement then only the body receives for a complete advaitic realization it's not needed I, this understood because you just want to find a door and enter into the infinite but to limit it only to that is not to do justice to the that's that's the mistake that was done participation of the entire being entire body so that much for religion where does religion become bad or a problem where does a cult become a difficulty and a problem it becomes a difficulty and the problem when one says mine is the only one my guru is the only guru my guru is the bestest best everybody should get converted to my you know whoever is the original the strange part is religions which believed in an impersonal god are most vociferous about conversion Why strange? Because if God is impersonal, why do you want to really convert anyone? But most was he for us about conversion. Of course, it was done for political reasons. No religion behind. There is no religious truth behind conversion. It's just to take comfort in numbers and then therefore push forward a political regime. And there is there is nothing religious about conversion. Conversion always is a conversion of the soul within, and that takes place when the time has come. and that conversion means that automatically from within a cry comes that here is the one whom i have sought through the ages why only one life it's a psychic shock beautifully this message was circulating today the mother you know reveals how she realized that he is the one she says that you know in a in a vision she used to see uh, one whom she used to say krishna and then suddenly when she saw the two the inner and the outer met he is the one he whom we saw yesterday he is here upon earth and then she there is a tremendous shock within and when the two become one you realize that's conversion it's a true conversion it's something automatic one doesn't have to do it uh, and it cannot be done by any artificial means so religion becomes a problem when we try to convert to ideologies why it is a problem when we try to convert because then we are taking away the fundamental right of a human being this is where the freedom must be brought in all the liberal thought must speak against it because it means you have taken away from somebody the right you see when a child is born you are converted him right then and there you should allow that freedom to explore and discover and find in his own way but the moment we convert somebody either by force or by lure we have taken away the fundamental right the most fundamental right is the spiritual right to grow into the spirit by the path you want to grow and it should never be taken away because the most sacred of all that's what is there in the story of isu and jacob where you know she says he gave away his birth right for a um, <laughs> for a pot of porridge and the mother recount this story she says though it looks like a story but it's very true it's literally about i mean you can apply it in many places but on one place it does refer so what is conversion your birth right to choose your path spiritual path that's your birth right but when you give it for a pot of porridge what is porridge riches material riches money benefits getting a job in dubai or wherever so you have actually sold your birth right and there can be nothing more asuric and damaging than this so in that sense when we try to do do that then actually we are not even being religious we are just being political and ideological similarly there are certain ideologies which are 
more damaging than religion. Anything which says this is the only way, narrow, dogmatic. What is fundamentalism and fanaticism is born from this idea that my God and no other. That is dangerous. That should never creep into thought. Not only that, mother goes on to say about mother and Shurabindu, she says, for your mind, what you have said is the best way for you that you have spoken about Shurabindu. But he could be, there would be others who could speak in other ways or write in other ways. And one should allow that Whiteness, Shurabindu is infinite. How beautifully she says, who can understand Shurabindu? He is as vast as the universe and his teaching is infinite. When I had read first time, I said, he is as vast as the universe. I always thought he is <laughs> infinite. And his teaching is infinite. Normally teaching seems to be, you know, lesser. Then I understood that she is speaking of the form of Shurabindu is as vast as the universe. Form itself is, you know, there was a whole experience which made me realize that he is a Vishwarupa. And he has written about it in collected poems where we see, I have wrapped the wide world in my wider self, London and Tokyo and Paris, my spirit seeing are. So that is the cosmic form of Shurabindo. So he is as vast as the universe. Here she is referring not to Shurabindo in his essential self, but in his just the form. He whom we call as the material envelope of our master is itself cosmic consciousness, form. But teaching is infinite, meaning thereby there are several layers and one can start from the most outer meaning of the words and go deeper and deeper and deeper till probably one word is enough. You see what happened to Sri Krishna, the same words which we have heard from childhood in our bhajans. Sri Krishna, when he went to Ghor Rishi, he just told him three words and suddenly a veil was rent. Akshitam. Achyutam. And for him, it carried a very different meaning. We hear those words, they don't carry the meaning. That's where the power of the master comes in. What, what is the power of the master when he puts that sense in the word, which is very different. So, the difference between a religious teaching and a spiritual teaching is this. Spiritual teaching is packed with the contents of consciousness. When mother was asked, mother... If we really look at mother's writings, they appear so simple. She's telling a child. And they, they were part of the classes for children. And then she's asked that mother, but what is it that you put there that makes it so very different, special, whole five, six lines question? Mother's answer is only one word. What I put into these words, she says consciousness. So when we read these words, it's not as a concession. Again, all religions will have a book. What is this book meant for? Book is not meant only for, you know, every day I've done a part. This tendency is there. We have grown up in that cult, you know, we'll do the part. Okay, at one level it is important. And you see how in Indian thought it was all woven. In Shobindo describes it that, uh, for instance, why festivals came? At one level it is true that we like festivals. But because... Human consciousness has many dimensions, many aspects. We are not just the soul. For the soul, nothing is really needed once it recognizes the divine, it gives itself. And once it is given, there is no way you can reverse that giving. That moment is, everything is done. Its destiny is sealed. But there is the mind, so there is something for the thought. So you have philosophical systems and all that. But is this enough? Mind is satisfied, but the heart is very dry. Heart also wants to participate. 
So you have streams of bhakti, various ways of expressions of bhakti, hymns of adoration, prayers. Prayers, hymns, they are not intellectual words, but they are meant for the participation of the heart into the joy of the divine. Often people ask, once in uh, um, Udaipur, there is a famous temple where Mirabai had gone and fused with uh, Sri Krishna. And someone asked, why does God want to us to do his bhakti? I said, sir, God is, <laughs> he doesn't want us to do his bhakti. It's a special grace given to us so that we can open to his love. Otherwise, this love force will be here, there, everywhere except the place where it should turn. So, if you don't do bhakti, it doesn't matter to him, but it matters to us. And what is bhakti? It's a spilling over from within. So much that he has filled us with. So, a little bit spills and goes to God. So, this is the, what is the essence of bhakti? Because the heart participates. What about the will and the life energy? Should they participate or not? Or just only the mind all... It has read all the books on Advaita. You see, some of the nice, it's interesting to watch sometimes, good to observe. People so much in Advaita and then, you know, they will come and they will sit and all it comes down to the most ordinary way of life and work. So, the life energy must participate, the will must participate. So, we have works for the divine. Is this religion? Is this spiritual? Traditional understanding? You won't find it. Uh, there is no way you can define it. But works and offering our works to the divine is so important. When somebody asks Shubindo, I want to come to the ashram so that mother can give me a mantra. Shubindo's letter, mother doesn't give mantra, she gives work. Mantra will spring from within. Because our life energies are participating in the process. And then comes the physical body which must also be engaged through various forms of service of the divine. So, this is the whole package. And then, yes, because man is also a collective unit. We are not living alone. So, there are collective things which are always there in Indian thought and everywhere it is there. Congregations, meetings, because it's like a yagna where everybody comes and there is a, you know, a mixing of the inner flames and a growth of the flame through this mixing. So, there is a truth behind all these things. And one has to get back to those truths. Instead of creating a trenchant divisions that this is religion, this is spiritual. And then, what about sect? Is it a sect? Sect literally means that, you know, it comes from to cut. So you have dissect. Dissect we used to do in as medical students, cut. So what is section? It literally means a part of a greater whole. So, sect literally always invariably refers to something which is a larger body out of which something has emerged. So, is Shurabindu's yoga a sect? Well, if we look at it, it is comes on the wider basis of Sanatan Dharma. So, one could call it a sect. But Sanatan Dharma itself is so vast and infinite that you can't limit it. It's like you can say sects, like in Christianity you have Catholics and Protestants. So, they are sects. You have one Buddhism, you have Mahayan, Hinyan, Theravada Buddhism, all these are sects of Buddhism. In Islam, you have Shia, Sunni, and God knows what else. So it is in that sense a sect, but sect of what? Sect of something infinite. How do you section the infinite? 
that's the beauty of sanatan dharma that it allowed not only approach but each approach became unique as if it existed independently sikhism all the truths are of sanatan dharma but it exists in its own right as something tremendous and great you know the teachings if you see are same as sanatan dharma but it exists in its own right so in a certain sense yes it comes under the larger uh, understanding of uh, you know the background as shobindu says shobindu's teachings starts from the ancient teaching of the vedanta that there is one reality but does it stop there no it is all inclusive it takes every possible you will find uh, this yoga that yoga tantra everything in shobindu's teaching and what is most beautiful it integrates the most ordinary life and material existence in that vast canvas so it's a set which takes its tree to the highest heights that it can so if i have to use an image i would say sects are like branches coming out of the main trunk and most of the branches are at the similar level a little higher or lower but this has taken from the root something which is very very high up it just indicated in the uh, you know vedic teachings that earth and heaven should become equal and one but shurbindo actually draws from there and takes it to those heights where they actually become equal and one so in that sense yes but in the end what do we really want so that's the problem with the mind mind is very happy defining things and you know giving very good scholarly lectures but the difference is that in india you had not just uh, you know philosophy and uh, belief system belief systems are where you believe in certain things that's what most religions have become in hindi there is a word manna aap ye mante ho you believe in it next step is janna do you know it there is a difference between believing and knowing i believe there is a soul within but do i know it if i know it the language will change the famous story of swami ramtirth where he gave a lecture and somebody asked so sir you believe that there is a soul within he said no sir but you were talking about the soul i didn't say there is a soul within the body i said the body is within the soul now that's experience body is within the soul as swami vivekananda says i have spat out the body he doesn't say the soul left the body he says i have spat out the body literally an upanishadic expression so between believing and knowing the gulf is bridged by yoga that's where the ground of experience comes in which goes beyond all sect cult religion and the way we define spirituality in fact in a certain sense spirituality begins with yoga and beyond spiritual beyond uh, janna is banana to become there is a very beautiful in the life divine there is a whole chapter that lines of spiritual evolution where shubhendu says there are four doors through which spiritual evolution has taken place occultism religion spiritual experience and realizations and philosophy philosophy comes first last is spiritual experiences and realizations all these have prepared the race for a grand evolution means spiritual experience and realization are also not the last word so it's not just about spirituality religion sect cult but something still greater which has not manifested and what name can we give to it supramental it's a way of saying supramental yoga integral yoga these are terms we use but it's something way beyond it is to become the divine in every little cell every atom of our existence why because 
the fundamental truth is that the divine is within each and every aspect that's what it means that everything should become the divine because divine is hidden inside it it's not just about realizing the divine but becoming the divine in every detail of creation I am tempted to uh, quote a little ghazal not a ghazal but a song mystic song um, and how it puts it he says what are the choices before human beings he says जी चाहे तो शीशा बन जा जी चाहे पैमाना आई ट्रांसलेट इन इंग्लिश शीशा पैमाना क्या बनना मैं बन जा मैं खाना बन जा शीशा इज द गॉबलेट इन विच वाइन इज केप्ट सो इज यू कैन बिकम एन ऑर्डनरी ग्लास और यू कैन बिकम ए गॉबलेट विच होल्ड्स द वाइन टू ऑप्शन बट वाई डू यू वॉन्ट टू बिकम द ग्लास और ए गॉबलेट वाई नॉट बिकम द वाइन इट सेल्फ वाई ओनली वाइन वाई नॉट बिकम द स्टोर हाउस ऑफ वाइन ऑफ आनंदा शीशा मैं खाना क्या बनना मैं बन जा मैं खाना बन जा देन इज वाई यू वॉन्ट टू बिकम समथिंग लाइक अ स्टोर हाउस ऑफ वाइन मैं बनकर मैं खाना बनकर उससे अच्छा है हस्ती से बेगाना बन जाए यू फोगेट यूर सेल्फ सो कंप्लीटली एंड बी सो मच वन विद द लॉर्ड दैट देर इज नथिंग विच इज देयर एक्सेप्ट द लॉर्ड टू लिव इन दैट कॉन्शियसनेस and he says that when you do that people will call you divana they will think you are mad <laughs> but <laughs> you won't be affected because as far as you are concerned there is no more any you then it goes very beautiful lines after that he says what all you can become he says um ruhu ke aankh ki thandak ban ja kha ke dare janana ban ja खा के दरा दरे जानाना बनकर नूर की आंख का सुरमा बन जा इस इज यू बिकम द डस्ट ऑफ द लॉर्ड्स फीट एंड द डस्ट कैन बिकम दू नो सुरमा आई डोट नो पीपल सुरमा नॉट सुरमा इन ओल्ड टाइम लाइक काजल यू नो बट इज समथिंग स्टिल स्पेशल लेडीज इन इंडिया यूज टू यूज टू कीप द आईज हेल्दी एंड ऑफकोर्स काजल लुक्स ब्यूटिफुल सो इट वॉज लाइक दैट so that dust which is below the lord's feet is picked up by the lord and uses it as kajal you see why this analogy kajal is something usually we associate you know black color dark as something negative but what does the lord do you may be kajal things which are burnt away that's how kajal is made but he will pick it up and put it in his eyes it will become his beauty there is nothing which can enhance his beauty but still you know that's his way of saying and then he says at the end that you have to burn the ego why you want to burn it here and there raise so much fire within yourself that you burn yourself within it now this is really entering into territory which none of these terms define so yoga is what yoga is literally the bridge between the human consciousness and the divine otherwise these things remain wonderful terms so people often discuss about these terms is it religion is it spirituality what matters in the end as shri ramakrishna says and there is very beautiful shri ramakrishna put it like that that why you want to discuss about the pot go and eat the honey shubindo also says something very similar in one of his aphorism He says religious disputes are like this. 
they are discussing about what is there inside the pot. For us, we go and drink, eat what is there inside the pot. What is inside the pot is honey. Any religion. And the mother says it's not because of religion. It's irrespective of religion. There are people who have a seeking. That's where spiritual life begins with the seeking. And they have a seeking. Any religion could become for them a means to go further. It doesn't matter. Because they were seeking. But she says these are a handful of people and she, she says very clearly regardless of the religion. Because they were seeking. But there are some who are satisfied with fixed formulas, fixed belief systems and they are fine. We should not disturb anybody who is uh, not ready for the greater adventure. So Indian thought never rejected religion versus spirituality. It accepted it. There is a stage when we need to just have certain beliefs, certain frameworks to lead life. Perfectly fine. One is not ready for the deeper plunge. If you don't want to scale the Himalayas, at least it's good to know there is Himalayas. There is something so beautiful, magnificent. And next stages you see the pictures. So when you see the picture, oh, this is wonderful. Maybe one day, I, I know people who say, you know, one day we want to go to Mansarovar. So, but third stage is, you want to go, but you know, it's a difficult journey. Then they will meet people who have returned from Mansarovar. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. And we are afraid. No, no, don't worry, it's so beautiful. Shiva will protect you. Now that is very... <laughs> people want some health camps all around which will protect you. Shiva will protect you is too vague and a term. Then one day we take the pilgrim staff of faith and the torch of aspiration we set going. And we said, come what may... We want to have the darshan of Mansarovar. These are the stages of human development. When we don't know the Himalayas, we have heard from someone. Himalayas represent a, you know, like a coffee table. People discuss about God, yoga, spirituality. It's like that. A kind of philosophy people indulge in. It's not even philosophy really speaking because philosophy is really an effort of the mind to try to understand the ineffable. It's okay. That stage of development. Next people are become, become a little curious. They want to know some representation, some image, something, some book on the Himalayas. Then they get interested. Then they meet the pilgrims who have come. They themselves have not undertaken the journey. So you have religions where you have masters and others. You meet them. Sir, what is there? Oh, it is wonderful. Sir, please describe. Now when you describe, you have finished it very often. You have never seen a swan. If somebody who has seen a swan tries to describe it to someone who has never seen a swan, what will he say? It's a white bird. Sir, is it albatross? No, no, a little less than that. Sir, is it his, um, what is kingfisher? Like that you will start representing in the mind because one has never really seen. Yet when we represent it to the mind, it becomes a starting ground. Then the next is that we take the pilgrim staff and walk the path. That is yoga. So we have this entire continuum of the journey, starting from belief, faith, aspiration, actually undertaking the journey. And then we see that all these terms created by mind to antagonize and divide are really steps of the great ascent. Start from any which we are, but ultimately, one should be clear where one wants to go. That is the only thing needed. In Shurabindu's yoga, it's a complete unity, not just of body and mind, but of spirit and matter. 
So it is a tremendous work. And yes, the mother is at the center of it. Not just the world mother. World mother protects us, does everything. She provides to everyone. But for the sake of the supramental transformation, she has taken this form. This is the reason why she took this form. Otherwise, she would have just done it everywhere. So this form of the Divine Mother becomes for us the gate towards the great consummation promised by Shurabindu and the Mother. If it is called a sect, so be it. If it is called a cult, so be it. The seeker of the God doesn't get into all these disputes. He doesn't care about what people call him or don't call him. He knows the path and goes straight to the path because that's what is most concerned with. So instead of getting lost in semantics, scholarly debates and discussions, what should matter for us is just to undertake the journey and then realize for ourselves. And then we'll see that these are not terms which oppose each other, but are part of a grand synthesis, steps through which the divine is leading us toward the great consummation, divine consummation in humanity. Namaste. So we will, of course, uh, I am sure it must have been taken up at some point. But just it's a very valid question. So mind creates uh, opposites like you know seeming, form and the formless, uh, knowledge and ignorance. Uh, these are the ways by which mind creates uh, oppositions and opposites. But to the divine, they are both terms of the one. And another place in Savitri, this is beautifully answered, several places. One of the places is, in knowledge and ignorance they have spoken and met. So even God uses our ignorance, to put it in very simple terms, for building his mansion of knowledge. So we create a division between knowledge and ignorance. It's necessary as we move from one step to another. But who was there on the step when we were in ignorance? The same world mother encircling us. She became this, uh, you know, avidyamai to lead us and she becomes vidyamai and reveals herself in a state of oneness. So basically, it's revealing to us that this antagonism created by the human mind, let's say between form and formless. So Shirobindo so beautifully puts it, O worshipper of the formless infinite, reject not form. What dwells in form is he. And this is straight reminds me of number of lines from the Isha Upanishad. Vidya, Avindya, Yastadveda, Bhamsa. This, there is a reason why forms have been built and with the forms, the ignorance, because it's a limitation. So that's what it is being conveyed that he is working because death creates an opposition. The biggest falsehood in the world is to create an unbridgeable gulf between matter and spirit. That's how the mother puts it. In fact, she uses the word, this is the greatest insincerity to regard spirit and matter as two opposites and different. And who has built the gulf? Death. So that's what she will answer. You are the one who has created the gulf. From the divine point of view, there is no gulf. It's all one. He is there in, you know, in, in the Upanishads, there is a very nice... Um, Dash Mahavidya, where the Divine Mother on ten planes she incarnates. On the highest she is Tripur Sundari, the most beautiful of all the three worlds at the apex of the world. But right down below she becomes Dhumavati, covered with smoke and... So same mother, at the height she revealed like that, uh, or in another parable, she is Gauri, the effulgent fair one. She becomes Kali, taking all the 
एस्पेक्ट ऑफ वॉट वी नॉर्मली कॉल इज आसोरिक डिस्ट्रक्शन वायलेंस स्टॉम टर्बुलेंस ऑल दैट शी टेक्स अपॉन हर सेल्फ बिकॉज शी इज टू वर्क इन द डेप्स नॉट देयर टू इट इज द सेम डिवाइन मदर सो एसेंशियली इट्स अबाउट द यूनिटी ऑफ क्रिएशन वेद द डिवाइन मदर इज वर्किंग एट ऑल द स्टेप्स एंड डिपेंडिंग ऑन अवर स्टेट ऑफ रेडीनेस शी रिवील्स अवर सेल्स टू हिम दे इज नथिंग एल्स बट गॉड टू पुट इट इन वेरी सिंपल टर्म्स there is a place in savitri where no there is in thoughts and aphorism where shubindu says which is relevant in contextual in today's times you know when things are happening wars are going on fights are going on shubindu says wherefore god hammers this world so fiercely beats it as if mercilessly and then he says because the material is still crude change the material and he to his will use gentler ways so if the material is hard it needs the titanic labor if the material becomes soft and pliable then he will also take it in the hands and nicely make it so this what is being revealed in this passage because death creates opposition perpetual opposition i'll just read a few lines and then you know because i'm sure we have the enormous circle of a wonder works immortality assured itself by death this is right there in the ishopanishad you know avidyanch mrityum titva immortality the eternal's face was seen through drifts of time look at the opposition of time and eternity his knowledge he disguised as ignorance he disguised his good he sowed in evil's monstrous bed there is a letter of shirbindu to nilani devi when you know one of her brothers died third one or something he says well you know the ways of god that he brings good out of evil very often when we look back at our lives we understand that the most um, moments of grace were not when things were easy but those when we had the most challenging times that was the moment when we took a leap the grace was active super active that time so here it's about that made error a door by which truth could enter in his plant of bliss watered with sorrow's tears see if the hearts of men were not forced to want and weep we would have lain content at ease and never learned to exceed our animal start so you know the heart of man is forced to a thousand aspects point back to the one a dual nature covered the unique in this meeting of the eternal's mingling masks this tangled dance of passionate contraries locking like lovers in a forbidden embrace good and evil how can they embrace each other and yet that is the truth of life because it is through that that evolution happens two currents opposites needed for the world play for evolution in the vedas it described as pick up to light up the fire you pick up wood one wood you keep below it describes graphically one above and then you rub them and then the fire comes out so both are needed for our evolution when they are no more needed it will vanish when mother was asked when will the adverse forces go she gave a very small answer when man will no, no more need them for evolution it's to live in that unity all embracing unity of god human mind parts them and therefore provides for himself a kind of strange situation where he starts seeking good 
and starts keeping away evil. The problem with that kind of duality is, Shubhendra says, if you want to create a utopia, distrust all utopias which promise you a beautiful future while keeping the roots of sin and evil lurking. The roots are in the ego and which create dualities in desires. I want this and I don't like that. This creates good and evil. When things happen which I like, then I call them good or pleasant or happiness. When they don't happen according to my likes and wishes, then I call them. It's a purely personal egoistic standpoint. But that's not how God operates. He can become Krishna who is regarded as the most sweetest, sweetest, cutest little baby. He takes the form of death, time the destroyer. Even Arjuna is appalled. You are not the friend I know. Come back to your little... Don't be so terrible. So this, we regard these things as opposites, the human mind. But essentially, there is nothing else but a single unity of God. That's what these lines... Because death creates that division. And death, speaking through the human mind, is that. But it doesn't mean again that I can do anything with impunity. It's not implied. What is important is to understand that how this play works. He uses everything for the purposes for which creation has been meant and that is to become one with the creator. Okay, so we'll, we'll take it up one day and I'll send you the clipping. Okay, thank you.